Welcome to the Fitbox Podcast. This is your host, Joseph Frankie. Glad you're here listening. On our podcast, we talk about two main things. First and foremost, we interview members of Fitbox so that way you can hear their stories about how they're repaying debt, how they're saving for retirement, buying homes, all this type of stuff, really to give you motivation and some different ideas. That's the first thing we talk about. The second thing our podcast do is we take individual finance topics and go through them in more detail so that way you can say, does this apply to me and how does this apply to my plan? So if you have questions or you want to sign up for Fitbucks, you can do so in the show notes, fitbucks.com, build your profile, schedule a call. We'll be talking to you soon. Enjoy the episode. All right, welcome to the Fitbucks podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, welcome there as well. Make sure you subscribe so you get notifications. Got an awesome podcast today. Uh, Nick is joining us. We're going to be talking about his journey, medical professional in the PT industry. Um, I, it's an awesome opportunity because his story, it shows you guys what's possible and that you don't have to, you know, spend 30 years to generate wealth. And, you know, he'll go through his story. One thing I will tell you guys, everybody's story is different. One thing might apply to you. Um, you know, he did it. It might not hundred percent apply to you. There's different risk tolerances, all that type of stuff. But his story shows you how, when you start understanding this stuff and you start getting creative with it, how you can get to that next level, um, in terms of wealth generation and, and whatnot. So, uh, Nick, without further ado, welcome to the, uh, the podcast. Glad to have you on board and, uh, you know, go ahead and introduce yourself. Give us a little bit about your background. Like, you know, probably start off, um, you know, going into PT school where like, you know, just undergrad, all that stuff, further interest yeah. in the PT school. And yeah, let's go from there. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Joseph. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. So my name is Nick, Nick King, uh, full name Nicholas, obviously. Um, <laughs> did my uh, undergraduate schooling at Cal State Monterey Bay, got a bachelor's in kinesiology, go otters. Um, after that, I went down to San Diego Mesa College and completed my PTA schooling. Um, that was in 2015. Uh, I primarily practiced in outpatient orthopedics for the last seven years, but I do have experience in the hospital systems as well as home health. Um, and in 2021, I finally made a jump to the, the academia world. So I'm a, a director of clinical education now for a developing PTA program out of Sacramento, California. Um, and that's been, that's been really fun too. I, I do miss practicing um, a little bit here and there, uh, just being interactive with the patients, of course, and seeing colleagues and all that. But the academia world has been real fun as well. So I'm, in, I'm enjoying the ride. Yeah, good old Sacramento. Um, grown a lot since I was younger, but actually side story it's good thing about monterey is you can't really get in trouble down there so it's easy to graduate um <laughs> i was uh i was at a wealth management firm in monterey for about a year year and a half they had transferred me down there and those of you that never been to monterey like it's beautiful it's fun i mean pebble beach is there and everything carmel's there it's it's it's, mm -hmm. it's awesome but uh the nightlife pretty much ends about nine o'clock every night. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's funny. Me and my girlfriend just went back there uh, recently in the past year and we're staying out and getting a couple of drinks and some. Uh, and so we're getting ready to go to dinner. It's like 738 and we finally get on the downtown area, Alvarado Street. And 
we're looking for somewhere to eat and every, every, every place is closed. <laughs> and so luckily I had a buddy who, who was working at the Marriott. Um, he got the, the chef to, to fire up the grill for us. So we have something to eat. We didn't eat till like nine, nine thirty at night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Side note, like I went, so my parents still live in San Jose. For those of you that don't know, I grew up in San Jose and then moved out to Texas about three years ago. And, uh, so I took my daughter back to go see her grandparents and we went down to the Monterey Bay Aquarium and, inflation let's just say inflation is a real thing in california i was like holy shit like how much is this stuff and then we went over to santa cruz it was like to ride one ride at the at the boardwalk was 12 dollars. it's like holy oh, wow so yeah i uh i was joking with my dad he's like yeah gas is effing six dollars a gallon i'm like in texas it's 280 like oh really it's only 280 oh my god yeah it's going back up a little bit now that oil is going up but it's it wow lower so Good stuff. So yeah, you graduated 2016, 2017. Um, you know, what, you know, just from your finances, um, when you first graduated, you know, student loan debt, how much did you have? Did you have any at all? I know you mentioned, you know, some stuff about like, you know, living at parents strategically. Like what was your situation that that you were looking at when you first graduated? Yeah. So I was, uh, I people are going to hate, hate this comment that I'm about to drop, but when I graduated PTA school, I only paid $1,200. Um, I refused to buy any books. I was the guy emailing the, the professor for the presentations. Didn't buy any books. Um, I went down to San Diego with about six to 10 grand in my pocket from what I saved up previously while working summers. And then every PTA school was two years. So that summer I, I came home and saved up the next, next amount I needed. I, I was lucky enough. I got into PTA school last minute. So I called one of my buddies down in San Diego. Hey, can I crash on your couch? You know, give you a couple hundred bucks a month. Wrote it out, lived out of my suitcase. I literally got accepted three days before the program started and had to drop everything I was doing. Boogie down there. Yep. So I lived on the couch, uh, out of my suitcase for about two years. Yeah, I spent $1,200 for PTA school total. Uh, undergrad, I came out with about 12 grand of student, student debt. So I was sitting pretty and... Uh, not to go on a different topic, but that was kind of like what I always imagined between going to PT school and PTA school. Cause I had a lot of authentic conversations with therapists like, Hey, uh, don't mind me asking how much, how much was Regis university. And that was back in 2010 when I was eight at a, at a clinic in Monterey and, you know, pick another therapist brain. And I heard the price tag on it and I was, I was just not attracted to it. Yeah. Yeah. And those price tags, especially since then, I mean, gone up a lot. Um, I would say 2010 and 20, now it's probably doubled. Uh, so yeah, it, it's, as you guys know, especially the PTs that are going to be listening to this, you guys know how, how ugly it is or how expensive it is, I should say. So, you know, no surprise on there. So that was the situation you had graduated, you know, you're looking at different finances um, you know, share with them the story you just you told me, you know, like getting about your first paycheck. Because I, I get this from oh. a lot of new grads, or they're, they're just like, what? So yeah, go ahead and share with everybody that that story. Yeah. So I was like, I was ready to, you know, when I came back, I was ready to work. And so I, I worked as a licensed applicant initially. And I was doing the 40 hour a week. I was like, I, I, I want to, you know, I want it all. I want to work as much as I can. And so I get my first paycheck and I remember sitting late at night, 12 o'clock, watching it to deposit in my bank account. And, uh, I got it that night and I was like, well, that's it. And so I kind of slept it off. And I, I called my boss the next morning. And I was like, Hey, 
Hey, Bob, I think HR messed up on my paycheck. He's like, Oh, he's like, read me the numbers. What does it say? And, and I read off to him everything. And he said, no, bud, welcome to the real world. That's how taxes work. Yeah. And then I was, I was in complete shock. I was like, man, I was like, I am getting smoked on taxes and everything else. Yep. So, you know, as, as you progressed and started working, um, you know, what did you start looking at? Like that, that tax, those taxes coming out, you know, set off a light bulb for you. Like, what did you start looking into? Why did you start looking into it? You know, in terms of investments and wealth building, you know, what, where did you decide to go? And, you know, just talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I had a couple of influences. I, I like to say that kind of pointed me in the direction, like I was telling you earlier, my, my grandparents were big, um, big uh, real estate flippers in the Bay area in seventies and eighties. Um, I was never really attracted to the flipping side of things. Um, and then at the same time I hadn't had my, one of my best friends who happens to be my realtor. I, I just saw him when I was in school. And when, even when I got out of school, he was just buying property left and right. Anything to get his hands on, he was buying. And you're talking, yeah, 2016, 17, 18, all the way up. And, um, I had, I had a conversation with my boss after that. And he's like, you know, he, after that, you know, the, the paycheck, uh, scenario. And he's like, yeah, you need to start, you need to start investing. And I was like, well, what do you, what do you think? And he's like, and he, and he told me straight up, he's like, I, I, I like real estate. I don't like stocks. I like real estate. And so we, you know, he started educating me a little bit more of the, the benefits, you know, of real estate. And that's what attracted me the most. And I, I think it, as cliche as it sounds, one of the biggest things for me, and not just because of the tax benefits, the appreciation, bonus appreciation, et cetera, the write-offs. It was the tangible asset and actually seeing it and seeing like, hey, I own that. You know, technically the bank's in the first position, but I own that. Yep. And and th- that was like the best feeling in the world. And because I never thought I was going to actually own a house, to be honest, even for myself or have investment properties. I never thought I was going to get my hands on that. Um, so that's where I got I got going. Yep. Yeah, and, and we'll talk about more of that journey, but this is what I want to highlight too. When I talked about, you know, this was your journey you took, everybody is different. One of the big things about real estate is the tax benefit of it and also the tangible piece. I, I talk to people all the time that were in real estate and I mean, being in the finance world, I, I always sit there and I, I listen to these guys like, you know, you're stupid to go into real estate. You should always go into stocks. And then the real estate guys are like, no, you're stupid. It's like, no, neither people are stupid it is what you, you know, which one you like going into the, the most. Like I even know people that are like, I don't do any of that. I just go into businesses and just create businesses. That's their investment. And then they want to mm-hmm. sell them for five to $10 million. And they just keep doing it over every five to 10 years, just new business after new business after new business. And that's their strategy. So there's nothing, there's no bad strategy to, to go after. Um, but the big thing about the real estate one, I hear this from a lot of real estate investors is that it's tangible, that they can actually touch it and see it they know what it is and they can point to it and say, that's the piece that I own. So yeah, I, I hear that a lot. So, you know, what was, when did you buy your first property? Um, you know, what did you do? how did you do it strategically? Like, you know, just talk about some of the things that you learned and how you did it and, you know, just where it was and all that type of stuff. Yeah. So I think I'll start with one of the, one of the biggest things I learned and I was so naive at the time, how little money you need to get into the door of real estate. And with the conversation I originally had with my, my buddy, again, who's my realtor, 
when we were looking at houses and I was, I was punching, you know, the, the percentages down for a property. I was, I thought it was always 20%, you know, 20, 25. And I was like, I looked at, I was, I was like, I was like, I was like, Beto, I, was like, I can't afford this. This is, you know, that that's 60 grand out of my, out of my bank. I'll, be, I'll, I'll have nothing. And so the biggest thing I learned right off the bat was again, how little it actually takes to get in. So with that being said, this was 2016. I had actually moved to Sacramento to, to work a little bit up there and I was renting and I was paying, you know, like probably almost $1,700 in Midtown Sacramento, phenomenal area. But I was like, this is stupid. I was like, why am I, why am I, why am I renting when I can buy something? Fast forward, I, I come back to, to Modesto. It's where, where I live now. And I, I talked to my buddy like, hey, I want to buy a house. And so that's how I got into the first one. And that's where I learned about, hey, no, you don't have to put 20% down. You can even go 15, 10, 5, and three and a half, even 3% if you use like a 97.3 loan. Um, and so that's how I got started. And just to kind of piggyback a little bit more, how I kept the ball rolling is I was, I was lucky enough to work in different cities throughout the Central Valley. And so year after year, I'd have to basically go to a new city to work. And so I needed a, a new place to live because I didn't want to commute 45 minutes to hour. So the next city, for example, that I worked in after Modesto was about 45 minutes south. And so I told you know, again my realtor, like, hey, I don't I don't want to I don't want to uh, commute. Um, what can you do? And he's like, well, you can use an owner ock strategy. And I was like, well, what's owner ock? He's like, where you purchase that as owner occupant, not an investment. And so, but you have to live there. I said, okay. So that's how we got rolling on the second and so on and so forth. Basically my work schedule was able to dictate where I was actually going to buy property, which was nice, but I got in the door with cheaper capital, cheaper interest rates because of the, the owner occupancy. Um, and I did that for a couple of years because I was, I like to say I was a team player and I commuted around for the company but that got me to a portfolio of seven properties um, with the mix of single family and multifamily. Yeah. And so those of you that don't know, when you go to buy a house, like if you claim it as your primary, that's what's unoccupied. And so the interest rates are significantly lower than an investment property. And so Nick, he had a, an opportunity because he was working for a a company where they were opening up multiple clinics. That's why he was going from one because he was going in and opening the clinics with them. And so you would work for like, what, you said like a year, like maybe even less yeah. than eight months. And then you had to go to the next city to open up the next clinic. And so every time he moved, he was able to use an owner auc loan because he was living in the, in the place. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and some of you might be saying, well, how do I do the same thing? And there's um, a lot of you guys would be PTs listening to this, OTs listening to this. Uh, nurses that are listening to this. Um, I see a lot of that opportunity with travelers because when you travel, you're going to be living there and you can potentially claim that as an owner off. The only tough part about travel stuff is your income stipend. So it might be harder to, to qualify, but that's why you bring on a partner. Like I've seen a lot of travelers that want to do something like this where they bring on like a parent's friend or something like that, where they actually have them come on and co-sign on the loans. Um, so that way they can qualify easier. So like I said, everybody's routes a little bit different, um, but you, to Nick's point, it might not be that much down. Um, and again, some of those industries like PA, uh, NP, DPTs, 
Uh, some of you guys may know this because you've seen some of the stuff we've been putting out on social media, but we just partnered with a few mortgage companies, one of them specifically Neo Home Loans, for example. Um, they can do uh, medical home loans for those professions. And I can't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head, but you can get like an $850,000 loan at three and a half percent down payment. Like, so you can do that without an FHA loan. You just have to have a primary, be a primary resident. Um, for those of you that are just starting, Nick, you brought up the, like the multifamily. That's the big thing that I always talk about. Like, if you're going to do something like that, your first property, like get a duplex or a triplex. And if you can't, a fourplex. And yeah. so how many of the, how many of those properties that you bought were multi-unit? Um, so I have one and that's a do that's a duplex, but to your, to your point, I, I always recommend that. And there's a, there's, you know, there's a bunch of strategies out there, how to get into real estate, but what I really recommend, and I tell everyone now, whether it's PT, RN, even friends that I get calls from use a four, three, two, one strategy. So start with the quad, then go to a tri, then do, and then the single family. And then you, boom, you got 10, 10 units right there. Yep. You know? Yeah. I'm, I'm big on the multi-units just because, especially when you're starting because where I've seen a lot of people get, get hurt is they'll buy like a, a condo. Like my buddy bought a condo here in, in Austin five, six years ago. And it was just one thing. And he didn't realize it. It was like, oh crap. Like I lost my tenant. <laughs> it's like, oh shit. Like I got to pay for all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, like you got to get this thing rented again really fast. And so with like a, with a fourplex or a triplex, you can you have different incomes offsetting that. Like if you lose a tenant or whatnot, um, not only that, but the valuations tend to be a lot higher. Um, they grow faster. So go ahead, Nick. Oh yeah. I was just going to say, uh, I, I have this conversation a lot too, with the valuations of it and not to get sidetracked, but that's the big thing too, looking at the rent rolls specifically. If you're like, if you get into the, you know, the real estate game and, and you're getting ready to, you know, maybe liquidate, and for a lot of investors, one of the big things they look at is, is, is the rent rolls and what actually is being produced from your tenants to look at the actual valuation and the cap rate and all that. So like for me now, when I, when I, as, as I've seasoned my years as an investor for the last, you know, seven, eight years, that's one, the first thing I always look at, especially for multifamilies, looking at the rent roll first, that's the first thing I look at. Yep. And a tough part with the rent roll, like when you're looking at a fourplex or a triplex, the rent roll holds up. Like when you look at a condo, for example, like a single single unit condo or a single family house, you potentially have rent roll, but you're also dependent on the primary market. People might be buying that house to actually live in. And so th there's different factors that come into play on that single family. Whereas when you have like a triplex or a fourplex, it's like, no, this is an investment property. And so those rent rolls will help bankroll that. And then like right now, those of you that don't know what cap rates are, that's like a one of the back of the napkin ways to value of property, <clears throat> like cap rates are starting to go back up. And personally, what I think is that, you know, as interest rates go up, they're going to be going down again soon, probably in a year or two. Um, when those cap, when things goes down, cap rates go back up, which means property values go right back up. So a lot of you have been asking me, like, should we buy single family houses right now? It's like, well, if you can, I'd try to start getting into like duplexes and triplexes. It's just tough because of the interest rate. But if you can claim one of them as your primary, like one of the units and still get in there and get like a, a lower interest rate loan. Cause it's not an investment. Hell yeah. Do it. Like, so. Yeah. I will, I will say too, cause people knock the single family housing for rentals, but California, there's a big caveat. So California is really, you know, tenant friendly AB 1482, um, which 
can cause a lot of headaches, but single families, if you multi, if you, if you operate them under a sole proprietorship LLC, they're protect, they're protected under what's called the cost of Hawkins act. So they don't have uh, a rent increase limit. So you can raise them. You can raise rents hundred percent if you want, you know, not if you want, I mean, you don't want to be a slumlord or a, you know, that, that person, of course, but people think people don't think about that, especially in California, like everyone's just dogging and trying to be real bullish on the multifamily. Sometimes I kind of take a step back and I, and I look at the single family and like, okay, well, I don't have to deal with, you know, uh, 5% plus CPI rent cap. I could just stay, uh, you know, Costa Hawkins is that doesn't have a limit on it essentially. So there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of, there's a lot of loopholes. (laughs) Yep. And there's, there's, again, that's why every state, every city is different. That's one of the big things you got to look at. Like I own property in San Jose still, and I mean, it's all single family, right? Cause it was stuff that I used to live in now they're rented. Um, but it's the same type of thing, right? You hold them in an LLC, you're fine. So, you know, good point on all that. Um, any advice on somebody looking to get started? Like where, where did you go to say, look, you know, I know that you brought up a couple of people in the industry that you talked to and whatnot. But was there anything that you went out on the web and started reading or, or books that you started reading about, you know, where did you get it? Like it's more knowledge on all this stuff. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I've, I've read the rich dad, poor dads. I've, you know, I've looked at bigger pockets, of course. Um, there's a gentleman, uh, I'll, I'll shout him out. Michael Zuber. He's from one rental at a time. He's based out of Fresno. I think he has like 180 doors or something. Um, I started following him back when he started on YouTube, I think it was 28, 17, 18, somewhere in there, but he brings on a variety of people, multifamily syndicators, a lot of savvy investors. Like you're talking guys with guys and gals with, you know, hundred doors plus. So I got a lot of information from there, but a lot of it was actually my best friend. I mean, I sat, we sat down week after week at some points and just had a lot of conversation. He's, he comes, his background is, you know, his family has a lot of property, property in Mexico, property here. He's a savvy realtor, really good realtor. So I started picking his brain. He connected me to a lot of different lenders. That's how I really learned about the loan products and what's out there, how to leverage, how to leverage safely, um, how to mitigate a lot of risk and how to deal with turbulence. So I'd say that that whole pie kind of got me to where I was in terms of my knowledge base. Yeah. And you know, I've had the question, like, how do I know so much about real estate? One, because a lot of times people are like, you know, on the webinars that we do and stuff, it's like investing is my background and people will automatically gravitate towards like, well, stocks and options. And it's like, yeah, that that's what I do. And I also build businesses like that. Those are the two things that I've always gravitated towards real estate. I never really gravitated towards, but yet I own a couple of properties and because I know the loopholes, but my family members, I mean... Mm-hmm. I was just thinking about it right now between my parents, because that's all my dad did, because he, he's in the same thing as you, tangible assets. Like he wants that tangible asset. I'll never forget when I graduated from college, I was like, dad, you're so stupid. Like if you would have put that money in the stock market, <laughs> it would be worth. And he was like, I don't give a shit because I can't touch it. <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah. all right. like, I get it. Uh, but between like them and my, my, my wife's parents like, combined, we own something like 15, like doors, 20 doors, something like that. And so I've been around real estate my whole life. And like my first major investment was when I was 12 years old. I call it major. It was like $5,000. It was like all the money I had at 12 years old. And it's a great learning experience because I got scammed out of all out of it all. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> right. 
<laughs> it was fantastic. It was fantastic. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, it's doable. Um, you know, people always ask like, well, you know, I don't have enough money to be in real estate. You know, mm-hmm. like for example, Nick, have you ever made like when you 2016, 2017, were you making 150 grand a year, 200 grand a year, anything like that? No, I, I will say at that point I was probably pushing 90 to hundred K and, but I was working like a dog. You're talking, you know, five days a week outpatient, two days and the weekends in the hospital, working holidays, saving every penny. I, I think that the, the main question to your, to your point is how do you harvest the capital? Right. Everyone's like, well, how do you, how do you stack that much money? If you, especially if you're dealing with loans, all that stuff, you know, and that's real life scenario scenarios. And, uh, you know, I was lucky. I lived with my parents for about two years. And again, I, I didn't pay a lot of money for school. So I will say that helped me a lot because I didn't have a lot of loans. Um, but one of the main things my parents told me when I started living with them was like, you better save every damn dime you have and you better buy a house. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And again, I was like, at the point I wasn't, I wasn't even thinking about it. I never wanted, you know, a house for myself. And I was like, okay, I, I could see, you know, I could see the, the writing on the wall by, by doing this. And, um, but again, back to the, how, how do you actually harvest it? Right. And, and I tell everyone there's going to be some point in your life where you're going to have to work a shit ton and it's not going to be comfortable. You're either going to do it in your twenties or you're going to do it in your thirties. Yep. So, and that's, I think every therapist goes through that where you're going to work those PRN jobs. You're going to work, you know, 25 out of 30 days of the month. And you're going to have to do it if you want to get to the next level. That's just reality. Yeah. And, and I was just thinking about this. I just, I'm, I'm doing some quick numbers on this. Okay. Um, if you work 40 hours a week, right. And you work 40 hours a week for 30 years. And let's just say you make $40 an hour. That's about $2.4 million in income that you'll create in those 30 years. Okay. Or you can work 80 hours a week for 15 years and get the same amount of money in 15 years versus 30. And then if you started that at 30 years old, by the time you're 40 or 45, you're retired. Because not only now you're getting that money fast forward, but you're also investing it. So it's also growing. Right. I don't understand. I actually did a podcast on this about two years ago. I was like, I don't understand why everybody in their 20s and 30s like I, I get the whole thing. Like I want to travel. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to fly. But it's like, do you just realize that if you just crush it out for like five to ten years, how much money you will have, and then you can work part time if you want to in your thirties and and your forties and have a couple some money. And I know somebody that did that really like they're a traveler. They love it. They travel six months out of the year. Like mm-hmm. you know, he works part time. He works for six months and then crushes it out for six months and then goes and travels. Like. Or other people that I met, they, they do that. They get a good base underneath them. And then they go out and they, and they create their own business. So then they can leverage that and sell that for a couple hundred thousand dollars or millions of dollars or whatever it is. So like I said, I, you know, I know we're getting off topic on that, but it, yeah, I, I love crushing it out for you yeah. know, five to 10 years. Yeah. I think just at some point you're going to have to do it and, and not to give, I'm, I'm not here to give anyone financial advice per se either. But I've even, you know, I've, I've leveraged a 401k loan too before, and those are great tools. There's just so many options you can use to get your foot in the door. And it's, it, I think it's always so scary because they're like, for example, the 401k thing, everyone's like, well, why are you borrowing against your 401k? And I was like, well, cause it got me a, a, a class, a class, a property, um, that's, 
you know, appreciated $250,000 in the last three years now. Um, and I just paid myself back the loan. I it was a 15 K loan and I, I paid it, you know, I paid it back to myself. You're just paying yourself the, the principal and the interest. And, uh, I didn't get penalized, you know? So there's tons of options you can, you, you can leverage. And I think people are just, I think people get really just tunnel vision of the traditional model, how to, Oh, well, I just have to work, save, work, save, work, save. And I'm all for that too. Like you said, you got to go five to 10 years, put off the trips to Mexico and Europe, buckle down and then use your resources. Yep. And that's one of the things that like, you, you know, your parents said you better be doing X, Y, Z with, right. One of the things that we've just started discussing with, with people, like when they're building their financial plans on, on fit books, is there's basically three categories that you could put your money into your day-to-day money, which is like your expenses, like food and stuff. You could go ahead and put it into assets or debt. So that's the second category is those two things. And the third category is like risk management for like insurances and stuff. And so most people when they graduate about 50% of their, of their income is going towards expenses and about 20 to 30% towards assets and debt. And then the rest is going towards insurance. And it's like, your goal is to get to like 50% of your income going to assets and debt. Like that, that's what we strive for. Like when somebody's tracking their, uh, their financial plan on our technology, that's one of the things we point out, like what percentage is going to that category of paying off or building assets or paying off debt? Because if Mm -hmm. you can get to 50% of your income on that, like you said, within five or 10 years, you're going through the roof, the closer you get to that 50% and the more assets you generate, the more money is going to be going, you're going to be producing mm-hmm. that income and you got more money now throwing out assets and debt. Like, and it just mm-hmm. snowballing and boom, it blows up fat, like really quickly. So, yeah. And I think that's where I'm at. I just had a, it's funny. I talked to my old boss yesterday cause he's like, we were just talking about it and we're just talking, somehow we started talking about passive income and he's like, yeah, I know you love passive income. And I was like, well, cash isn't King cash flow is King. Yep. And I'm at that, I'm at that point now where I, I'm just, I got a blizzard going because mm-hmm. I, I did that, you know, these last five to seven years and, and the cash flow I'm getting now is just, it, it's bananas, you know, and then knock on wood, it's been consistent. I haven't any problems, but I feel like I'm taking off even more now. Yeah. And you can just keep investing more and more and more. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's exponential growth basically at the end of the day. And to get to that 50% of your income going to those things, that's what helps fuel it. So uh, before we wrap up, first of all, thanks for coming on. Any, any other words of advice or any other things that you'd like to share with everybody listening? Um, no, I would just say just if, if, if something, you know, I think financial freedom is always on everyone's mind. And I think, unfortunately, in the PT world, we put ourselves on a, a certain timeline just because of the, the industry and all that stuff. But again, I will just say, if you're going to do it, just do it, hunker down for again, five to 10 years and, and, and just be disciplined and do your due diligence. And that's it. Yep. Absolutely. One question I have, cause I know I'm going to get this afterwards is, uh, mm-hmm. have you two questions? Have you ever looked at buying outside of a place that you live at, like in another state? And second question, have you looked at any of these other like new, like funds that invest in properties that they're not quite REITs, but they're you know, the little startup funds of people pulling their money and saying, Hey, we're going to buy this place and, you know, this condo in Austin and, and whatnot. Um, have you looked into any of that stuff? Cause I know that's a huge hot trend that's coming on right now with the internet. 
Yeah. So for your first question, I've, I've, I've always looked out of state. Like I looked at, I looked at Clarksville, Tennessee for a while. Um, I just, I just, I go with the old school advice. If you can't drive an hour to see it, then don't buy it. And that's how I've just always kind of rolled. But I think in the future, I, I think I'm, I'll take the plunge at some point, but it just has to be real lucrative. And it's, you know, obviously got a cash flow and meet the other metrics that I look at. And then for the second question, no, I haven't. I mean, I haven't really heard of this uh, trend going on. Yeah, there's little things like I've seen them on a couple on like Republic, Fundera, some of these other places where it's like, you know, you put a thousand dollars in here and they go in and buy this thing and they're like, you know, you can go two thousand dollars, five thousand, whatever it is. And to me, it's like it's a it's a real estate investment trust is basically what it is. It's like there's mm-hmm. nothing new there. It's just there again with the advent of technology those things used to be private and now they've been able to put them up on the internet and try to bring them to everybody. Um, I do know why well, I know local investors who will, you know, you know, ask people they, they want to commit investments and capital and stuff, but I've never heard of anything like, like on the, on the internet like that. Yeah. The, the, so the personally, like, cause I get this question all the time. Do you invest in those? My answer is no. And the reason being is because uh, I got into the, the mortgage industry in 2007. So I saw a lot of bad shit. And like I told you, like my first investment at 12 years old, like that, it wasn't a scam, but it, they, they just mismanaged the funds. Um, and so to me, it's like, I, I have a major issue going into those because as much transparency as they give you, you can't control how they're using leverage and control how they're managing the cash flow and all that type of stuff. And I've seen so many of those things tank that I'm just like, uh, uh-uh. if I'm doing this, either I'm doing it by myself or I'll go in with a group of people, but I'm going to be the run running it. Cause I'm a financial right. investment expert. That's what I do. Like, I'm not going to mm-hmm. let somebody else do this for me. Like when I can do it, like I'll hire people to help me, but I want to have a say what's going on with that cash flow and that money and how is it being managed and how is it being distributed? Because if that's out of my control, it's like, in my opinion, if that's out of my control, what's going to the stock market? Like that's out of my control too. And I got better <laughs> opportunity to get a better return off that. So I'm going now. Right. Right? So that, that's, I wanted to make sure I throw that in there because, you know, I get that question all the time and I wanted to see if you, you've looked into that or invested in any of those and, you know, go from there. So. Yeah. No, no experience on that end. So where, where's the next, next unit going to be bought at? Or have you started looking at it? Are you out right now just because of what interest rates have gone up to and, and all that stuff? Yeah, good question. Um, so I, I think the end goal for me personally is to get into big multifamily. So at some point, I'm, I'm, as of right now, I'm kind of letting everything just kind of ride out again, seeing where, you know, yeah, these rates are going and obviously our current economic environment. But at some point, I want a 1031 all my properties into a big multifamily, you know, like 40, 50 plus doors and just wrap it up like that. <laughs> yeah, those of you that don't know what an exchange is, basically you take your capital or your uh, capital gains, roll it into other properties and you just defer the taxes on it. So it's it's how you can start acquiring more and more. Uh, so Yeah, and we'll see how this cyclical cycle rolls out, but uh, I'm, I don't have a timeline obviously, but that that's that's the end goal for me. Yeah. Perfect. So Nick, thanks for coming on. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to interview people when they're hitting those, you know, stories of building wealth. So I love it. Um, if you guys have questions or you're listening to this and you'd like to share your story, you know, both good and bad. I know we, we talk a lot with people that are hitting it good. 
if you've had stuff where you hit road, like road bumps and, you know, different things like that too, share it. That's how we all learn from each other. So thanks again. Um, and again, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe there. We'll be talking to everybody soon.